0: You're listening to Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Young or old, professional or amateur, you never miss a day of practice, or perhaps you're coming back to rediscover the joy you once knew playing your trumpet. For those who love and are fascinated with this crazy mass of metal tubing that no one can seem to master, or is at least wise enough to not admit it if they have, this show covers all of the trumpet dynamics. Hello, everyone. This is James Newcomb coming into your earballs, and thanks for pressing play on. This episode of Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. I realized that I've been a little bit out of the loop the last couple of weeks, and it's for a good reason. The reason is that I was in Vietnam for an extended period of time, January of 2021, and I ended up leaving Vietnam on, uh, I think it was the 23rd of August, so I guess I was there uh, about seven and a half months. I arrived there the 14th of January, so I guess a little over seven months, maybe seven months and a week. At any rate, I had to prepare to leave Vietnam and then travel to the United States. I spent a little time with my family uh, in the place where I grew up, in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. I'm gonna actually tell you a little bit about that in just a minute. And then I uh, was busy finding a place to live in my home city of Virginia Beach, Virginia. And I reunited with my seven-year-old boy who I hadn't seen in over seven months, and so that was a happy reunion. So all that to say, oh, and by the way, I have a podcast production business and I was taking care of my clients. So all that to say that I simply did not have time to devote to this more or less passion project at the moment uh, hopefully, it will it will turn into a full-fledged business that brings in revenue. And uh, well, I just didn't, I, I couldn't devote the necessary time to publish episodes. I don't want to just sl- slap something together and press publish on it just for the sake of keeping a schedule. I would much rather take a little break and publish an episode that has the proper attention to the editing and the show notes and everything that goes into publishing an episode there's a lot that goes behind the scenes and, and anyone that has done a podcast for any amount of time knows that it is no small task just to publish one episode and although you can develop systems and processes that simplify things and streamlines things there's still a lot of that goes into it and because of my circumstances being what they were they, I, I, just, I just chose to wait until I had the necessary time to do everything that is involved in publishing episodes. But it has been over two weeks, and so I just don't want to neglect this, episode, this podcast for uh, too much longer. So what I'm going to do today is I want to give you a little bit of a sneak preview of what's going to come up on the podcast in the next couple of months. While I was in Vietnam, I made hay while the sun is shining, as the saying goes. And the sun was shining bright and hot in the land of Vietnam. And I used the time that I had to record a bunch of interviews. It wasn't always logistically feasible, being that I was 12 hours ahead or more uh, of most of my guests, uh, based here in the United States, but you do what you you, you do what you got to do, and we made it work. And so I left Vietnam with several really really fine interviews that I think you're going to uh, greatly enjoy. <clears throat> and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go down the list of the interviews that have not been published as of yet. There are a total of one two, three, four, five, six, seven recorded interviews. There were several that were rescheduled because of my traveling. And oh, I'm sorry, there are eight recorded interviews, several that need to be rescheduled. And um, there's just a lot to look forward to. So I'm just going to go down the list of the ones that I've recorded and share one recollection. From my interview. And keep in mind that some of these happened two months ago, so I haven't listened to them since to edit the audio. So I'm kind of going off of memory, but I want to share a little bit of a sneak preview for each episode so you know what is going to come down the pike in the next couple of months here on the show. First of all, and this is in no particular order, this, it doesn't mean that I'm going to publish it, the episodes in the order that I'm sharing. These are just, it's just the way it's written in draft mode here on Captivate, my podcast host. So first of all, we have John Holt, professor of trumpet at uh, the University of North Texas. Uh, The one thing that I remember from John Holt is there is a (coughs) criteria for the audition process. And he said that what you do is you start on a low G, and you play up to a G on top of the staff. And if you can't do that, then it's an automatic disqualification. And I just thought that that was very interesting to how such a simple thing playing a scale on two octaves without taking a break, without taking the horn off of your face. It's just like half notes at a moderate tempo and you go up two scales, uh, two octaves on the scale. And I just thought it was so interesting that just that one simple exercise can reveal weaknesses in a player. And he said, even if it's a, someone who's got a master's degree and who's applying to get into the doctoral program, if you can't do that, you uh, automatically get disqualified from your audition. So I thought that was really, really interesting how that one tiny, that, that seemingly simple thing can expose so many weaknesses and can tell Professor Holt just listening to that, uh, that this person either has the goods or they don't. Going down the list, we have Tom Hooten, who is the principal trumpeter of the Los Angeles Philharmonic. The note that I have for Tom Hooten is Tom is premiering a brand new composition with the LA Phil, I believe it's in October, so I'm recording this in September of 2021. And I th- I think by the time that this part the interview with Tom goes live he'll he'll have premiered it, the performance will have uh, have occurred, and I don't remember the the composer's name, because I haven't listened to it in, um, I recorded it on the eighth of July. So I haven't listened to it, so I forget the composer's name, but the way that he described it was pictures at an exhibition on acid. That's basically how Tom. Uh, uh, describe this piece, and he actually played a little bit of it on, uh, on the podcast. It's always iffy when someone plays their trumpet on a podcast because the microphones go from they're sensitive, and so they're sensitive to the voice, and then you pick up a trumpet, and all of a sudden it's completely different dynamic levels. So I'm not sure how that's going to go. I might, I might have to cut it out, but he, uh, of course he's a fantastic player. We all know that. He's a great teacher, and he's a fantastic podcast uh, guest. So that one is one to look forward to. Next, we have Jeff Pertle And apologies, Jeff Purtle, if you're listening to this. Uh, this may sound like I'm uh, trivializing our time together. But uh, the one thing that I remember about Jeff Pertle is his shirt. He had this extremely um, flamboyant, there's a good word, flamboyant shirt. And that was, it just captivated me for the entire 55 minutes that we were on the Zoom call recording the podcast. And uh, I'm, I'm, I know that there were many, many good things that we shared on the episode, but like I said, I haven't listened to these in, in some cases, a couple of months. So uh, all that I remember from Jeff Purtle is um, his shirt, which was, um, it was special, so Sorry, Jeff, if you're listening to this. I know that there was more to our interview than your shirt, but unfortunately, that's all I remember. Next is Chris Gecker, um, uh, professor of trumpet at University of Maryland. One thing that I remember from Chris is he was talking about his time studying at Juilliard. And at the time that he was there, or maybe it it was a time uh, slightly preceding his time at Juilliard, there were, there were literally signs on the practice rooms, the, like the doors of the practice rooms, saying jazz is prohibited. Uh, I think, and we talked about this at length, and I think that the reasoning was that if you're studying to uh, perform classical music in an orchestra, then jazz would uh, somehow corrupt your mind or would somehow uh, be a some sort of inhibitor for you to play classical music at a high level in a symphony orchestra and i think maybe if you think about it during the 50s and 60s when the orchestras were more i don't know how you say it they were just more maybe a little more rigid than they are now i think orchestras they tend to be a little more uh, eccentric with their repertoire that they choose so These days, jazz is, of course, a it's a it's an asset to a symphony musician. But at the time, it was viewed as a liability. So they said, no jazz. And it actually gave me an idea for a coffee shop or maybe a bar of some sort and call it Jazz at Juilliard. I don't know. Maybe something will come of that. If you take that idea and you run with it, just give me the credit and uh, it's yours but jazz at Juilliard. Of course, it's not a knock on Juilliard because they have a fine jazz program, but I just thought it was just an interesting tidbit of history that jazz was prohibited in the hallways of Juilliard. Uh, Next we have Michael Hankst. He is a, uh, he teaches at the, it's a community college in Denver. I forget the actual name of the school, but uh, the one thing that I remember from Michael Hankst is just a, he is a he's content. He is a professor at, uh, by all intents and purposes, it's not um, it's not a, a great Northwestern or a Juilliard or Eastman. It's not a like a top tier music conservatory. It's it's humble by by all accounts. But he was just content. He 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 gave the message of I don't need to be at those. Prestigious so called institutions to feel like I've accomplished something. I am accomplishing good things here. I have a good connection with my colleagues, with my students. And it was just a very, very positive, very upbeat interview. And it was, I, I do remember that uh, my time with Michael was the fourth of four interviews <coughs> that I did on that particular day. Uh, and the interview started at 5 p.m. The, the day began with uh, John Foster, who we've already heard from on the show. And then I spoke with John Holt. And then I spoke to, who did I speak to after that? Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's somebody I've already published. And then I talked to Michael Hengst, and I was just very grateful that he was the last person that I spoke to that evening. because Oh, it's Michael Corrigan that I, that was the fourth guy that I talked to. Um, but I was just very fortunate that, that I spoke to Michael last because he was very upbeat, very positive, brought a lot of energy to the call. And it was just a really, really fun interview. And I'm I'm I don't know exactly when it's going to go live, but when it does, I'm, I, I know you're going to, you're really going to enjoy it. Very good, uh, perspective, really positive attitude. Uh, we have <clears throat> James Blackwell who is a high note specialist I don't know if he would he would call himself that but he's a lead trumpeter and the one thing that I remember about my time with James Blackwell he was, is he was talking about how he just he a lot of times young people have this attitude that they are invincible that they will never ever you know they could, what, what they're doing now is the way things are going to be until they die and so he, Basically, overextended himself for a, a, an extended period of time, and he ended up <clears throat> injuring himself. And we talked a lot about his recovery or his um, his time recovering from his injury. And I, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said. I don't. I, it's not going to be exact, but I think that he said something along the lines of even the thought of picking up a Trump. I think even. It was either picking up a trumpet, or the very thought of picking up a trumpet caused uh, a, some sort of burning sensation, or maybe it was a uh, some sort of pain in his lip. Just the thought of it m- brought on a physical discomfort, and I thought that was so interesting that you you have that mind-body and spirit connection; they're all connected, and just I, I think it was just the emotional uh, reaction to, to <laughs> just picking up a trumpet brought a physical reaction. I thought that was really interesting. And uh, I think the whole in- the whole interview uh, was really fascinating. And you're going to enjoy it. Two more. Uh, the second to last that I'm going to mention is Slavomir Cikor. And I apologize if I'm butchering his name. But Sl- Slavomir is from Poland. And you wouldn't know it, but Poland has a vibrant arts scene, and he's right in the middle of it. And the one thing that I remember from my interview with Slavomir is that uh, he came up, I guess you would say 20, 25 years ago, and it was during an era where uh, the conductors or pe- just people who had authority in general, they were not, they didn't understand the physical um how physically taxing it is to play trumpet. And so they would be expected to just play and play and play and play eight, 10 hours a day. And, um, and they, they, I, I think that it just was not generally understood the physical limitations that trumpet players have versus other instruments. Like a violinist can play longer than a trumpet player. A pianist can play, Longer than a trumpet player because they don't, they just don't have the same, uh, phys- it's not as physically demanding. And so he came up th- in a time where it was just kind of, I think you would kind of call it by our standards, you would call it just kind of disrespectful. It was not respectful to uh, the musicians, to the trumpet players in particular, because of just a lack of understanding. And he talked about how he has come through that and. He also spoke about t- attending a conference of some sort. I believe it was in Oklahoma, maybe it was Kansas. It was somewhere. It was somewhere in that part of the country. And he went to this conference, and he was his eyes were opened, and he just, for the first time in his life, he saw uh, trumpet players just enjoying playing trumpet, and people were just happy to be alive. They were happy to be there. They had a positive attitude. And it was so different from his experience in Poland. And he said that for the first time that he actually enjoyed playing the trumpet, which I thought was really interesting for someone who, uh, until that time, had made his living playing the trumpet. So that was a really fascinating interview. And uh, finally, last but not least, this was a really... Just a fantastic interview. And I had a chance to do, I love Zoom. I love technology. And I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to connect with anyone, literally anywhere in the world where there's a solid internet connection via Zoom or Skype. But those rare opportunities that you have to interview someone in person are special. And uh, this one was a... this particular guest was—you um, can't get better as far as um, interviewees for podcasts—and it was Manny Loriano, longtime principal trumpet player with the Minnesota Orchestra. And Manny was my hero growing up in the Twin Cities. I went to the Minnesota Orchestra concerts, and there he was uh, back in the early nineties. And he's just—he's just—he's um, been there. And he's been there, and done that, and we had a really fantastic chat. It was right on his screened-in porch at his home in Plymouth, Minnesota, and it was so nice. And the one thing that I remember, uh, well, I remember more than one thing because it just happened last week, but one thing that we talked about is how we talked about... How, I'm trying to think of the best way to word it is how orchestras these days have such different criteria for uh, winning a position and he he said and he and I asked him this again just to make sure that he stood by his words but his words were that the great Roger Voison longtime principal trumpeter with the Boston Symphony would not have won the job he would he would he would not win uh, an audition in today's audition environment. And I asked him later in the interview, I said, Do you stand by that statement? And he said, Yes, I stand by that. And we talked about how, um, I guess, the democratization of the audition process has um, turned, has um, taken away a bit of the ability to express oneself in that particular setting, being a symphony orchestra and how orchestras back in the day had a distinct sound. You could tell Chicago from Cleveland, or Cleveland from New York, or Philadelphia. You could tell who's the principal trumpet player. And it's not quite the same today as it was back then. So I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. It, it is what it is. And so that is uh, what you can expect in the coming weeks and months of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. It was just, had a really fun time d- recording these interviews, and although in the last couple of weeks my time has been uh, just, I've just been in demand doing other things, finding a house, getting things set up in the house, but these are going to be um, resuming soon. If I play my cards right, it may be as early as this Thursday, the, uh, what would that be, The maybe the 9th? Yeah, the 9th of September. If I'm fortunate enough and I can get all of my ducks in a row, I will get get these cranked out, edited, get the show notes ready, and we'll resume on the 9th of September. But we'll see. We might might have to take another week. But that's the way it is. If Naomi Osaka, the great tennis player, can take an extended break because she um, has mental health um, issues with playing tennis, hey, if she can do it, I can do it. If a multi-millionaire tennis player can take a break and people cheer her on for doing it, hey, do the same for me. Give me the same consideration. All right, I said it tongue-in-cheek, but there is some truth to it. I am uh, glad that you have stayed with me for the for this last 20 minutes or so, and I'm excited about what is coming down the pike for the show. And now that I'm back in the United States and I can do interviews with people on this part of the world. Like conduct business during business hours. That's always nice. There's going to be a lot more uh, coming into your earballs very soon. So, thanks for listening. Thank you for your support, and we will be with you soon.